How's everybody this rainy morning? It's perfect for this sermon. What difference does it make that I'm a Christian when God misbehaves? <laughs> Honest, you look at it, this is the series and this is today's today's message. And before I begin, I I want to bring you greetings from Pastor Steve and Marsha. I got a text message last night. I thought I'd die laughing. It said, it is official. Yahoo! (laughs) So we did did kind of converse by text message back and forth, and everything went well. The wedding went smoothly, and apparently it was just a joyous event. So he will be back next Sunday. Um, This week should be one of kind of <laughs> recovering <laughs> from the wedding. So thank you. And, and like I said, I wanted to bring those greetings. So God misbehaving. When have you seen God misbehave? Be brave. We all know that he doesn't really misbehave, but when has it felt like he has? I'm sorry? I heard somebody. Ken, did you? When everything's going, well, that just covers it all, doesn't it, Sharon? When, when everything's going wrong. Okay, does it feel like that sometimes? does in my life. Something else. When your children are suffering, when they're going through hard times. Okay, anybody else? Exactly. <laughs> because by golly, it's all about us. <laughs> yes, Ida. When he... When he doesn't heal people that we love. Ida was in charge and her family in charge of the cancer walk yesterday. And there were a lot of hurting people there. But they were using it for God's glory. It was great. Okay, when when a precious dog, just for a second you look away, dog is hit by a car and killed. God just doesn't behave sometimes, does he? at least the way we think he should behave. Our scripture passage today comes from the book of John, chapter 11, verses 32 to 36. And would you please stand in honor of God's word? Now hear the reading. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. So ends the reading of God's word, and you may be seated, please. Very familiar passage, would you agree, in the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Before we get to that, you know, I, I, I think the reason that we have the concept that God misbehaves is a lot of us sometimes think of him more like a vending machine. I ask, he gives. Right? Put in the right change, get the right answer. And we feel like God misbehaves when he doesn't give us the answer we wanted. When things don't go our way, when everything goes wrong, we feel that he's in the wrong. 
There are a lot of reasons that people choose not to follow Christ simply because of this. And I want to look at some of the ways that we can approach an understanding of God that will help us understand why the answers aren't always what we think they should be. People ask, why should I follow a God who allows such suffering in the world? Have you heard that one? Why would I follow a God who causes such suffering in the world? That's a bold person. Why should I follow a God who doesn't answer prayers or is irrelevant to my life? Why would I follow a God who lets his son die? Why would I follow a God who doesn't do what I want him to do? What's in it for me? Some people don't believe in heaven. Many don't believe in hell. They believe that this is all there is. The biggest question that I have heard over and over and over is why? Why does God allow? Why does God allow or cause the suffering in the world? Do you have that question? As a chaplain, I used, to, I used to have the privilege of being with many, many people, many who were dying of cancer. And I heard that question over and over and over. Why? Why? And as a chaplain, because I didn't usually have the chance to preach to them, I would say, God doesn't answer why. He just promises that he will walk with us every step of the way. That's a fairly easy answer to give, and it was helpful, but we still come back to why. Why is there sin in the world? Why this evil? Why this suffering? And some say that God is letting the sin that was committed in Eden play out the natural consequences, that when they sinned and Eden was separated out and we were separated from God, that not only did humankind fall, but also did creation. Romans 8, to 23 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I watched a video by Erwin McManus this last week, and he, oh, it was really impressive. Not, it was different. And he talked about quantum physics and chaos theory and took all of this back to the fall. And that all of this suffering that happens with natural disasters and so forth comes from creation falling. Interesting theory. Some say that God does not care. He set the world in motion and just sits back and watches. Some say that he is punishing us for our sinfulness. Many of us believe that. And there is scripture that backs that up to some extent. Others say that he shapes us through suffering, through refining us. John 15, 1-2 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? He prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. 
Pruning is painful. He shapes us through our suffering. A bar of steel is worth $5. When it's made into horseshoes, it's worth $10. If it's made into needles, it's worth $350. If it's made into penknife blades, it's worth $32,000. And if it's wrought into springs for watches, it is worth $250,000. What a drilling the poor bar must go through to be worth a higher value. But the more it is manipulated, the more it is hammered and passed through the fire and pounded and beaten and polished, the greater the value. Is that what God is doing through our suffering? I know that... (laughs) Some people say that suffering builds character. Helen Keller says, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition-inspired, and success achieved. She is one who suffered greatly in her life, and her words to me carry a lot of weight. My mother used to tell me that I needed to give thanks for what I was going through because it would build character. Do you know what I would respond? I'm enough of a character already. (laughs) Back to the idea of sin being, or evil and suffering being punishment or discipline. Hebrews 12, 5 through 12 says this. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have, had all, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and lives? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So sometimes suffering comes to discipline, to correct our paths. I don't know about you, I've had some course corrections in my life. They are never, never pleasant, but oh my, when I get further down the road, I can be grateful for what he has done. And then another point about suffering that Ken made, some suffering in the world is not God's fault at all, or God's preference. It's because we allow it. Can we accept that responsibility that we choose to look away, that suffering takes place that doesn't have to? I found this poem. Blow the trump and ring the bell. Dress it up and make it sell. Fill it with the rich and well and count the heads. We're doing well, but where's the faith? Read the creed and get it right. Hold it fast with all your might. Close the door and bolt it tight. We've no need for further light. 
but where's the faith? Build the church and make it grow. Cushion pews and classic rows. Made for comfort we love so. Come in, relax, enjoy the show. But where's the faith? In the sick room on the bed. Invalid, helpless, but not dead. Hear her praying through the pain. May my suffering be your gain. There's the faith. Here a loving mother gives, with all the reason that she lives, to strive against unnumbered odds and bring her children to know God. There's the faith. Surprising, isn't it, where the faith is found? Not where it reigns the world renowned, but in the den of work and strife, where the cross meets daily life. There's the faith. We can make a difference in suffering. It's the difference being a Christian can make to other people through us. So let's look at this passage, John 11, and see how we can gain the strength and the comfort that God gives us so that we can reach out to other people. First thing that we learn from the passage in John 11 is that God hears our prayers. Verse 4 says that Jesus heard when Mary and Martha sent him word that Lazarus was sick. He heard, he listened, he acknowledged it to his followers. Other places where we know that God hears prayer. Beginning of Luke, the angel tells Zechariah that his prayer has been heard and that his wife Elizabeth will have a son. How many years had they been praying? Do you think they had given up praying at that point? But God had heard the prayer and in his timing... He answered, yes. The Lord said yes to prayers for children, to Abraham and Sarah. Very similar. Very old. Oh my, you have a son. Isaac and Rebekah prayed also and received an answer to their prayers. And Moses' conversations with God are well documented. He pleads for the Israelites over and over and over. And in those passages, we often get to read what God said in response We know that he hears our prayers. Do we also acknowledge that he always answers our prayers? Have you ever, like me, felt like he didn't answer? He was silent? But what can the answers be? We only want to hear yes. We're like our children. We only want yes. That's the only acceptable answer. Otherwise, God is misbehaving. But God sometimes says, not yet. And sometimes he says, no. In this passage, Jesus' response is, not yet. He waits to go to Lazarus and his sisters. It says in verse 6, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. In verse 14, it says, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, hear those words, for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. For your sake, can we see that there's a bigger picture than we are able to comprehend? Jesus knew what was going to happen, and he knew why it was going to happen. For your sake, he says. I'm not going to do it yet. 
It's sometimes to increase our faith that God says no or not yet. If Jesus had gone right away and healed Lazarus, would the impact have been the same? Would the impact have been even close? What if he'd gone and Lazarus had been dead only one day? Do you think they would have explained it away? Look at what they did with Jesus' resurrection. But after four days, I love the King James Version. It says, but Lord, he stinketh. (laughs) One of my favorite verses. But Lord, he stinketh. And when he was stinketh (laughs) there was no doubt that Lazarus was dead. And in that not yet, and then the yes, people could see that this was no ordinary man. This was no ordinary rabbi. God's timing is perfect. Do we trust him when we are praying? I'd like to share with you a video that should be fun. Enjoy. I want you to pray. 
how filthy something gets. You could always clean it right up. You win. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be done. I want you to decide what's right for me. I surrender to your will. feel like Bruce Almighty? Like God's a mean kid with a magnifying glass and you're an ant and he's burning off the feelers? Does life ever feel like that? Do you ever feel that he's the only one who's not doing his job? You're doing everything? Do you feel like, I love the part with the rock eroding. His life is like a rock eroding from underneath him. But we serve a God who is with us. He's not up there with a magnifying glass. What difference does it make that we're Christian? We can trust that Jesus knows the best answer for what we're going through. When Bruce Almighty falls to his knees and he says, I surrender, that's where we're to be so that we can trust him to take us through anything that's in our path. Why can we trust him? Well, let's see. He healed countless people. He walked on water. He calmed storms with his hand. He raised the dead. He created the whole universe. Most amazing, he was willing to lay down his life for us, even though we are so unworthy of that. Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus is talking. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he gives it to us. We can trust this Savior of ours. He promises to always be with us. Always. No matter the circumstances. He is Emmanuel. Matthew 28, 20. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of this age. 
Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Let's go back to our passage in John for another difference that it makes that we're a Christian. We serve a Savior who truly understands our pain. Verses 33 and 35 say, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus wept. What message does that give you? That he weeps with us? That he has compassion for what we're going through? The Greek for troubled, agitated, stirred up, disquieted. Jesus was deeply distressed. He empathized with what they were feeling. The traditional interpretation of this passage says when we pour out our hearts to Jesus, he not only hears but weeps with us and feels our pain with us. I want to share with you another way to look at this passage. Jay, you'll have to help me out if I don't get this right. There is a word that is translated as deeply moved. And the word is embrimaomai. This word is not used often in scripture. And when I looked it up, I was really confused. Because it actually is translated as anger. It's not translated as Sorrow. It's anger, such anger that it's fury within. And it's used to describe the snort that a horse makes when it's angry. Can you picture in your mind a horse that's angry? Ears flat back, hoof hitting the ground. And that sound that they make when they are furious. Horses don't get furious too often. I had horses for years. It's usually out of protectiveness or out of pain. What does it mean that Jesus was angry? Instead of putting in their deeply moved in spirit, how about this? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was furious in his spirit and he was incredibly agitated. What is the significance of that? He is so overcome with the futility of the pain. This is the result of sin, death to his friend, and the incredible suffering of his people. And he is livid that this happened. He knows he's going to sacrifice and he's going to give us a way to solve it. But at this point, he looks and his heart breaks. And he is furious that evil is in the world. I don't know about you, but that makes a lot of sense to me in this passage. When he's weeping, they are tears of frustration, they are tears of anger, and they are tears of a heart breaking out of love for each one of us. 
He not only understands when we're sad, he understands when we cry out in agony. And he experienced it here with with Lazarus. He chooses to follow his father's path, knowing that he will redeem this, that there is incredible hope to come. But in that moment, even though he knows He cries out in his spirit. Can we identify with that? That's the Savior who is with us. A Savior who really understands the whole picture, not just the the polite, decent, and in order box. He's agitated. He cries out. He doesn't fix it yet because he trusts God's plan we too can trust that in the end, the story will end well. Revelation 21, 1-4, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And I love this verse. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What a promise. This is the God that when we stepped into a world of sin and he expelled Adam and Eve from Eden, he took the time to make their clothes. Do you realize that? Read Genesis 3. And in the end, he takes his own hand and wipes the tears from our eyes. This is the God that we know as Christians. It makes all the difference that we know that. As his followers, we can trust. He will walk with us. He will be with us every step of the way. One of my favorite personal prayers, when I feel like I can't go on, God, I'll lift one foot if you lift the other one. Ever feel that way? And the beauty is, if I can't lift even one, he carries me. He is with us. He is Emmanuel. He loves us so much that he died for us. And though we may not always like what he does, he is most definitely not misbehaving. You know, this summer when I was going through the surgeries I was going through, right before I had my heart surgery, I had this song that just spoke to me. And it's not one that really is very singable, but I sang it anyway. And the day before my heart surgery, I probably sang this song a dozen times. And I want to share with you, it's by Mercy Me. I want to share with you just a few words from the chorus. It says, I just might bend, but I won't break. As long as I can see your face. When life won't play along, and right keeps going wrong, and I can't seem to find my way, I know where I am found, so I don't let it drag me down. And I keep dancing anyway. Can we keep dancing anyway? Because we trust him. 
because he is with us and because we know that in the end, all things work to his good purpose. Amen? Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord, help us to always see your face. Help us to know that you are with us each step of the way. And no matter what, Lord, let us praise you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Surprises you